You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. I'm Angelique Rocher, and you are listening to Creative Quarantine. Today on Creative Quarantine, we had an amazing conversation, but I would be remiss to acknowledge the fact that today in New York, um, where I reside, uh, was a hard day. Um, And for the next two weeks, we are going to be dealing with some very hard times which I believe makes it ever more important that we continue to have conversations about how folks are staying home, adjusting, and making things work to ensure that the spread of COVID-19 slows down. Uh, Today, what you will hear in the audio is um, a number of ambulances. And what you will also hear in the conversation Uh, that I had with today's guest, uh, a stark sense of reality of what is happening right now, not just in New York, but around the United States, which is shifting the way we think, the way we work, the way we conceive a normal. And so I'm really excited today we talked to one of my favorite writers of comic books, Vida Ayala. They are from uh, the great city of New York. Uh, grew up in Alphabet City and learned that they wanted to be a writer very young, but finally came into writing doing creator-owned projects, which you should definitely check out, and has since just hit the comic book market by storm, uh, writing for DC, Marvel, Valiant, Dark Horse, across the board, most of the major comic book houses, and, and that includes Supergirl, Xena Warrior Princess, Morbius the Living Vampire, they have made a huge impact on the field, and they are currently working on a number of projects across the board that I think are just phenomenal. Uh, you should also definitely check out their work on the wilds uh, and submerged. But Vida Ayala sat down with me today to talk about their work, how they are adjusting, uh, what their situation is in this very unique quarantine pod that is their apartment system, as well as to talk about writing comics, the system of writing comics, what it looks like, and how they approach writing comics, which was a very interesting conversation. And we even got into a little Star Trek talk. Uh, so it was a really great conversation. I think for those who are looking for some inspiration in writing, this is definitely one of those combos that's tailor-made for you. I hope you enjoy. You are watching Creative Quarantine. I'm your host, Angelique Rocher, and I am here with one of the dopest writers uh, in the game, in the comics. Yeah, yeah, you, you, you right there. Uh, Vita Ayala. What's up, Vita? (laughs) All good. All good. As much as possible. As much as possible. Yeah. Um, And I, I would be remiss not to start the show off by saying today is a rough day in New York today. Um, yeah. today is a real rough day in New York right now. Um, sorry to smile. Alarm. Awesome. Um, <laughs> today is a real rough day in New York right now. And I think we kind of want to acknowledge, um, a lot of folks are hurting. A lot of things are happening, uh, in epicenters around the country right now in Detroit, in New Orleans, in, in Cali and all these places. And that, we are both very blessed to be right here, both well and healthy, to have this conversation. 
Yeah, it's, uh, we, we are starting to reach the peak, or the first peak uh, in New York. It's a city of 9 million people. There are pretty much sirens going almost nonstop in my neighborhood. Um, there's actually a quiet patch right now, which is kind of, that's nice. Um, but yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty rough in New York. Not, not enough people take it seriously at first. Now they are starting to take it more seriously. But uh, Talk to me about how everything has kind of been, because, you know, we're in our third week of creative quarantine, which, you know, a lot of folks when we first started was like, oh, three, three weeks. Oh, you're booked all the way out to May. And I was like, yes, because I'm encouraging all of you to stay in your homes. Inside, please stay, stay in your homes. Um, but it's, it's definitely when we first talked about the show uh, and we first like set the date, it was it was it was even a different world two weeks ago. I mean, day to day, things are changing and developing and things are shifting. It feels like there's no real foundation anymore in which to contextualize the world like at all. <laughs> Um, but you know, I've been inside for a month now, actually, like I went into, uh, isolation earlier, not because I had anything, but I had traveled pretty recently. Uh, I traveled to C2E2, the first and only convention of this year. Comic convention. The first and only comic convention of 2020. <laughs> Congratulations, um, C2E2. It was, it was something. Uh, and, uh. You know, so I was like, "Ooh, people aren't taking it seriously." But I always get very ill when something is going around, so I'm just gonna stay inside, and make sure I'm not passing germs back and forth. Uh, and then I just, I'm not going outside anymore. I mean, we have a little. Our building has like a, t a backyard that's like very small, uh, so we go outside for like air. But yeah, otherwise I'm upstairs. I feel like someone in a <laughs> like a Victorian novel. <laughs> well, and, and the ironic thing is like, you know, we've talked to a number of folks uh, across the country, but one of the interesting things, and we've, we've talked about this a lot, you're from New York. So this is, this is something for you. I think that is um, interestingly important because you are from the city, you know, what do you think, like, and I know we talk about people weren't taking seriously in the beginning, like, what are we, what are we seeing now? Um, you know, there's still not enough people taking it seriously, in my opinion, but for a lot, for weeks, uh, up until pretty much this week, there were people just outside hanging out, like, in groups on sidewalks in the street, because they were off of work, and they were like, oh, we're gonna hang out and have a good time, and, like, you know, like, there's nothing wrong with taking a walk, that's not what I'm saying, wear a mask, though, please, wear a mask. Um, but they were just, you know, when we've been doing grocery runs, my wife and I, like once a week, unless we really need something that's perishable. Um, and like, they're just people without masks, without any protective gear, walking right to you, like not even trying to like, you know, do the thing where you veer six feet apart, like none of that, um, pretty much until this week, which is pretty disconcerting. And, uh, apparently, I mean, not a lot of laundromats in the area have closed down, like not all of them, but a lot of them have. And some of them now are refusing to do drop-off service, which I was like, no, the drop-off service is what you should be doing. That's so that, actually that the jam. there. Uh, so that's packed. Like they're just, and people are just packing into laundromats because it's, again, a city of 9 million and many, many, many of the buildings aren't even allowed to have like, Laundromats, yeah, or are they retrofitted and they don't have, they just don't have the capacity. That that's the case for some of them. Uh, 
you know, it depends on where you are. Like I know, or you, you know, you could be living in a building where you technically can have one in your home, but you can't afford it because they're expensive. Uh, so there's all kinds of like, I don't know. It's been interesting. Now I see a lot less people walking by pretty much only people with their dogs or people that are clearly like together and wearing masks and stuff, which is nice. Um, this has really changed a lot. You know, New Yorkers are walking people and like to see just like empty streets. It's, it's pretty wild. My mom is like a walking person, which stresses me out because she's been going out on walks every day. And she's like a 70 year old immunocompromised Puerto Rican. And I'm like, please, no, she has like a mask, but still I'm like, yeah, but yeah, but no, please don't. Um, but she's taking pictures in like ghost town, like absolutely yeah. ghost town. Well, and I think it's interesting because, you know, one of the things that we've been having conversations about um, in the last couple of weeks is is the construction of stories. And I've had this this conversation with a couple of different, um, both on and off camera, a couple of different the guests about how if we were to write this story right now, <laughs> it would be workshop, like if you were to write the facts, like not not you make up a story and this is it, but if you were to write the actual facts of the story of what's happening right now. I wouldn't believe uh, it. No, and it would be workshopped a lot, right? Like even the dialogue from elected officials has been so surreal. That, um, the the, the, the um, dialogue between people that are, oof, oof, it's, it's, it's real wild. Like I'm watching, you know, news stuff and I'm like, I you couldn't write this because your editor would absolutely just scrap it. Like, there's no way, like you could not, you could not like any, especially like, not just our president, but like just these high level world leaders where you're just like, how, how is this what you're saying out loud? This is like, this is, I think I read this in my freshman like writing course in like college, like, you know what I mean? Like, this is real wild. Uh, yeah, you would not, I wouldn't believe any of this. Um, so for you as a writer, um, I know that you normally write alone. Uh, you do have you do have some partners that you have written with, um, collaborations, mostly mostly digital. Um, and and for the folks who are who might just be getting to know your work, like you mainly write comics. But to be clear, um, in like the explosion that has been the very short time of your career, you have written for every major comic house um there is is that true almost uh, maybe so yeah dc almost. marvel valiant yeah um, uh, i've been blessed to be able to uh have stuff published through image and dark horse as well uh mm -hmm. and idw yeah i guess so except for boom not boom boom <laughs> get your shit together <laughs> we're all i mean right now we're all just trying to make it through the day <laughs> and and i think one of the things and I, and I would be remiss to talk about this is like there's been a large impact on on writers but also a large impact on the comic book industry yeah. uh, when it comes to local comic book stores like right now um and i think it's it's really it's really been rough right because local comic book stores really that that wednesday that that Wednesday walk in those those pickups um, are are such a big huge deal. But how for you has has it been with this adjustment of because you you still have projects like you are still writing scripts right now. I am still writing scripts right now. Um, it's unclear about when and how they will come out. 
Um, but I am grateful that there are companies still paying freelancers uh, because I am full-time freelance. I, I didn't have a day job to begin with. <laughs> I mean, I did, but then I was blessed enough to be able to go full-time freelance. Um, okay. So it's very precarious. I mean, the comic book industry um, in terms of the direct market is very, it was already extremely precarious. Like the profit margin on a retail store is like tiny. <laughs> um, and not being able to get rid of inventory, but still having to pay rent uh, is is really crippling to this, uh, to the industry. I uh, Retail in general, but certainly places like independent bookstores and local comic book shops are like, they're already on a thread. So there's a lot kind of there's a lot of people thinking behind the scenes of how can we help these local comic book shops make it to a, when they can reopen again for for business yeah. um well and i think a lot of people don't know your back you your background you have worked in a number of different comic book seller type yeah, systems sure. <laughs> right um and so you know for folks out there who are curious because a lot of people who are new to comics don't necessarily understand the bigger system of uh, pre-orders or understand the bigger system of what does it mean to have a pull list? Like there's a whole vernacular of right. comic books. A lot of people aren't necessarily, I hate to say hip too, because it just makes me sound old, <laughs> but I'm going to say it anyway, um, that they're not hip to. Um, and so what have you seen has been the trends? Have you seen anything that you feel like um, folks can do or folks can explore, particularly as they're looking for more content, which comic books have a plethora and literally have something for everyone. Yes. I think the bare, like the foundation of it too, is that for in, in the general mainstream comics are thought of as a, a genre and not a medium, but comics are a medium, right? There are as many comics as there are things in the world. Um, and there, there are still a lot of comic book shops that are operating in kind of lateral ways, right? So one yeah. of the things that I've been involved in, which is spearheaded by Leah Williams, uh, who writes for Marvel, and mm -hmm. uh, Liana Kangas, who has drawn a bunch of stuff, including, you know, we did a book together, um, is this project called the uh, Comics Industry Collective, which mm -hmm. is just... Half of it is uh, a resource for people looking for comic book shops that are still operating, you know, to some capacity. And I'll, I'll, I can give you the web address. Yeah, um, we'll make sure we'll put that in the, the podcast information all right, uh, awesome. when it goes out tomorrow. Um, it's 28pages.com, I believe. 28 the number and then pages.com. <laughs> I didn't come up with that, but it is very good. Um, I mean, is then, it 28? Is it 22? Is it, what is it? Is it? It's I thought it was a clever pun on the movie, but that's just I me. love it. You know, it's great. Um, but this is a resource. Basically, the, the front end of it is a map. It's like a very, it's a Google map with mm -hmm. information on every shop that's still operating to, and what, what they're offering, what COVID services that they're offering. So a lot of people are doing shipping. Um, they're still able to go, you know, a staff member is able to go into the store and ship out like their comics or, or toys or whatever they have. Some people are still in states that aren't shelter in. So they're able to do curbside pickup, which means they literally, you prepay and they put it on the curb and then you come get it and go away. Um, there's some personal shopping, uh, 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 options, that kind of stuff. So that, mm -hmm. that has been a, a, um, a, I think 
taken a lot of my mental energy. <laughs> and now what's happening is they're moving on to adding more kinds of resources for retailers, for customers, and for uh, comic creators because uh, the industry runs on freelancers. <laughs> and a lot, like, a lot of companies are unfortunately not able to continue to have people work while things are so unstable, which is understandable, um, but it leaves a lot of us in kind of lurch. So there's all kinds of stuff happening and, and being put up on the site to try and centralize information, but also to to make sure that it's like vetted information. That's really amazing. Um, so we will make sure that we put that in the actual, like the podcast information. And when we do the replay stuff, um, we'll make sure those resources are there. And I think it's 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 also one of those things where you kind of think about, we were talking to Yatide last Friday about kind of what she's doing in the kind of the space right now that she's in to give back and people in every single industry um even yesterday byron was talking about how folks are collaborating digitally yeah for you and and i've known you long enough so i think i might know this answer but this interview is not for me uh (laughs) for you like how has your day-to-day shifted because again, you're still writing scripts. Um, you still have your own personal projects. So I, I want people to also know that even with these other houses, you have a creator-owned, like you have done creator-owned work. Um, and so that's that's something I think is so amazing because it's hard. Um, it it's, is its own kind of beast. <laughs> it, it, indeed, uh, because there's no one there but you. Um you know, what does your day now look like when it comes to being able to structure that? Because I know we're quite similar. We like a good coffee shop. Um, yeah, I like to go outside and be around people, even if I'm not talking to people. <laughs> um, I have not been as productive as I would like, uh, which usually I would beat myself up. Uh, I'm a person who is, you know, I've been working in the hustling since I was 19. I, this is, I mean, this is no vacation. This is, this is a nightmare, but <laughs> you know, I'm so used to, to working at least two to five jobs at a time. Um, so I have seen that kind of energy shrink down to what's right in front of me, which is totally acceptable. Uh, I'm trying to be kind to myself. I'm not usually kind to myself. It's acceptable for other people. So I'm going to say it's acceptable for myself. Um, I have done something which I, I don't usually do, which is I've started to give myself me time in the, in the morning. Um, and then a little bit in the evening as well. Um, so I've been, whatever I want to do, basically, I've been playing a lot of animal crossing. I knew you were about to say animal crossing. And my, this so entire soothing. show so has been a commercial for Tiger King and animal crossing. No, it's no so worrisome. <laughs> Uh, I needed something really gentle. I, you know, a lot of the stuff that I write, um, even the superhero stuff there, it's a, it's conflict. It's a lot of conflict and it's people going through emotions or going through, you know, physical conflict. And so I needed something on my off time that was not that. And I have a bunch of video games that are people beating each other up or people shooting each other and like all kinds of stuff. I like that stuff too. Um, but I've needed something, someone described Animal Crossing as like a bonsai. And I was like, yes, I just want, that's how, that's how like chill I need to be. Just, just gently pruning my bonsai. Um, So I've been doing that. I've been reading more, which I hardly ever (laughs) let myself read when it's not homework. I read a lot, but I read for homework, but now I'm just like, 
you know, <laughs> uh, I, I have been reading manga I've been meaning to read for years. I read, you know, I, I buy my friends books. I, I believe in supporting friends and stuff like that as I well as the people that you just admire but like so I've been buying my friends books and I had this read stack and I'm slowly going through <laughs> you know all the stuff which is really cool yeah um but you know I, I've been trying to carve out things and, and time to make sure that I am able to function as a person um there's a lot of like you know real life stuff that I have to do um but I want to make sure that I'm giving myself enough gentle energy and support to be able to to write to my best ability um i i've always been someone who has taken comfort in work i've always been someone who whenever i'm processing something really difficult i i work whether i'm going to get paid for it or not uh, so yeah. i am working on things that i'm not probably not going to get paid for anytime soon if ever um because i find i find comfort in that because if there's one thing that people can't take from me it's my it's what's going on in here and my ability to write it down on a piece of paper uh well I guess that can be taken from me but this 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 is me so as long as this is still going on um and as long as I am able to write things down that's what I'll do I've always done that compulsively um but I wanted to say too like if people aren't able to work in these times that's okay like there is no shame in that uh if you are someone who I suffer from crippling depression so like that stuff isn't new to me and so for people who have never experienced symptoms of like a severe depressive downturn like your feelings are valid and you don't have to force yourself to do things that aren't immediately about your survival if you don't want to that's okay I just happen to be a person who if I don't write something I start to lose it and I'll start to crack so I'm like oh it's time to start writing stuff down. <laughs> um, well, and I love that, right? Because we we've had this. If I were to like define your major superhero style, this is not all <laughs> of the work you have done. It is complex characters and punching. Like it yes, is it. Like it is complex things. characters in a situation where they have to do major self evaluation and <laughs> punching. Um, I have a brand. <laughs> <laughs> that. And animal videos. Yes, mm. you do. Uh, oh, but, yeah. you know, for those who are out there, um, it's like for me, like I've had this conversation with a couple of folks. I love this convo series. And people are like, oh, you're being so productive. And I'm like, this is my thing. This is the thing that I do every day to kind of give back to the conversation for folks to talk about, you know, like, like 28 pages. This is my thing, right? Um, for those out there who might be thinking about, okay, you know what? I kept, I keep saying that I'm going to write, um, and God bless you. Cause I'd shout out for you being my Jedi writing master <laughs> right now. Um, you know, why do you assume I'm not a Sith? I, I just don't, I'm not, I mean, but, like, why do you assume? <laughs> but also maybe that's why we get along. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe <laughs> both our lightsabers are purple. I don't know. Um, nerd humor. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> two people got that joke uh, we appreciate both of them <laughs> uh, um, oh, I'm so ridiculous right now um, yeah, sorry. my point <laughs> being was this happens every time we talk it's fine um, my point being was for those who might be like sitting there because I know 
you know, Quentin Peoples, who's actually going to be on the show later in April. He's a showrunner for Last Ship. He, oh, nice. he was one of the showrunners for Runaways. He just writes these big, beautiful, amazing scripts. Has started doing like script writing. He's like started offering a script writing class for free through Instagram uh, because that's his thing. Um, for those whose thing is like, well, I'm going to put this pad, I'm going to put this pencil to paper. Like, do you, how did you start writing? Like, uh, where did it, where did it come from? But also comic book writing is very different than all the rest of the writing. Sure. And talk to, <laughs> talk a little bit about what comic book writing looks like versus what people normally would think about with prose or, you know, or short stories or, or even creative fiction. So I didn't really learn how to read until I was about 10 or 11. I learned very late because I am a fast talker and I could convince people that I knew what I was talking about. And I also went to a public school where they, we were just wild animals. Uh, so I moved from public school to Catholic school for fifth grade and they were miles ahead. Uh, and so I had to learn how to read really, really quickly. But I'd always been telling myself stories like that. I can't, I have memories going back to about nine months old, which is really weird. Um, and I can't remember a time where I wasn't making stuff up or, or thinking, you know, thinking through scenarios or building worlds. Uh, and so when I told myself how to read, um, I realized that I could get all of that stuff out of my head and into the physical world. And so I still have that first notebook uh, somewhere, but I started, I started just writing down my ideas just as they were coming to me. Um, and I couldn't stop. I just had so much stuff in my head that I just had to write it down. And at first for like, I mean, I would write little snippets of like, you know, narrative, but for like three years, it was just, oh, this is what this world looks like. And this is what these kind of people are and like all that kind of stuff. Um, and I, <laughs> so it wasn't really structured at first, but then uh, when I entered the eighth grade, I, I changed schools again and I met a teacher who, uh, who was like, you're writing all the time, but you're not like, you're just writing about stuff. Why don't you write? Like you tell all these stories out loud and you have all these like little details. Why don't you make a story like a narrative, like write it down. Yeah. And so I started writing prose. Um, and I actually came from writing short stories. <laughs> they were my chosen medium. I really like short stories. I love all, all kinds of writing. Uh, but that was the one that, that uh, appealed to me the most because you have to you get in, you tell your story, and you get out. <laughs> um, and then when I, when I was 19, I started working at Forbidden Planet, which was a comic book shop uh, in New York City. And I realized, yeah, <laughs> formative years of my life spent in that place. Um, and up until then, I didn't really understand that you could write comics and not draw them. Um, I read a ton of comics, but mo I also read a lot of manga. Like that was my preferred like thing to take in at the time. And with manga, a lot of the time, the writer and artist are the same person. It's a cartoonist, right? Uh, mm -hmm. But then I was working for Ben Planet and we'd be putting comics on the wall and I'd be like, there's so many names involved. <laughs> Why are there 12 editors and yeah. three pencilers? I don't understand. Yeah, I was like, this is so confusing. <laughs> uh, and I realized, oh, I don't have to be able to draw. This is great because I can't draw. When I draw, like I accidentally summon demons, like it's terrible. Uh, so <laughs> I try very hard not to draw unless it's an emergency. 
That's I'm my superpower. I'm going to start calling you Constantine if you ever say that again. Bless. What a... <laughs> That's exactly the kind of person that I am, TBH. Um, but so I realized, oh, I can start doing that. And so I, I started trying to find scripts. And at the time, there were a couple of like pub, like script books that were published and all kinds of stuff. And I just started taking in as much of the of that behind the scenes stuff as possible. Um, and so I started writing like little comics and the first couple, I mean, I'm sure that there are people that say that everything I've written is garbage, so fair enough. But like, I look back on them and I'm like, well, the idea was sound, but uh, <laughs> the execution left a lot to be desired. Um, and be, I, I don't know if this is just because I came from prose or what, but like my first couple of comics, um, were really tightly controlled, way too controlled, way too wordy. I was telling the artist way too much stuff. Uh, I was just like, okay, so, and and I thought, because I'm a, I'm more of a textual thinker than a visual thinker. Mm-hmm. And so I would see, like, I, to me, I was like, a comic is in a grid and there's nine of them. And so I have to like, I would describe like how many parts of the grid a panel should take up. I was, it was way too much. I was young. How, and how did your illustrator do <laughs> your artist because you're you're not the first I have interviewed a number and and anybody knows my other day job like I've interviewed a number of comic book writers who came from prose or short story your story we're too wordy we're too your story is not unique um a lot of people will say I was like what have you like I'll, I'll ask this like patent question what have you learned since you've written now on your third comic they're like let the artist do his job oh so I got on my first one that I second one that I had someone actually draw I got the layouts back and like (laughs) the artist had made like snide comments in the layouts about stuff (laughs) and I was like oh and instead of hurting my feelings I was just like oh I I really need to relax like I need to like pull back (laughs) like um but you know I I think that like literally anything that is a skill and not an innate talent takes practice and takes work and takes experience. So, you know, I've noticed that a lot of people that come from prose and and become, you know, start writing comic books, uh, too wordy and too rigid. Um, and mm. then you relax as you go. I've, I don't know, this is anecdotal, right? But I, I've seen people come from screenwriting into comics and it's way looser. It's way more conceptual stuff. And I'm like, this is much closer. It's still not the same. No lo mismo, pero like, it's closer. It's closer. Um, it's just closer. Uh, but yeah, I, I think for me, when, when I talk about writing to other people and kind of how I personally learned more and more about the craft, it was half of it was just reading a ton of scripts, which I hate. <laughs> I hate reading scripts. I hate reading comic scripts. I hate reading my own scripts. I hate, I hate reading scripts. They're painful. Um, <laughs> um, I just, it's so, the structure is just not right for me. Um, and, but I read and I continue to read scripts by people that I admire and scripts by people that I don't think are very good because I want to learn, like, is it, what about the communication, like, between the artist and the writer? Like, what happened there? Was it, was it really just, was it the subject or was it the way that it was being? Interesting. You know? um, but, but the other half, maybe more than half, actually, is I talk to artists a lot. Um, a lot of my siblings are visual artists but also just in general like I've every every artist that I've worked with I try and become friends with them because they're 
super cool and they they have the skill that I don't have and you know if we vibe then I don't I don't want to lose contact um and so I always ask or I try as often as I can to ask uh like post the first script or post a project like hey what worked for you what didn't work for you what can I do to make your life easier um and I ask that of like the line artists and the colorists and, and the letterers like anyone on the team um because I feel like I have I think the easiest job, but the scariest job, if that makes sense. <laughs> well, you're driving, you're driving the school bus. Like I always joke that comics <laughs> are a team sport, but normally the writer is driving the school bus to the away game, right? Like right. You, you're like, yep. And then somebody yeah. and somebody's over there going, here's the map. And you're like, yep. <laughs> um, <laughs> let me draw. So we have to make up the map. Like that's the thing. Like my job is to, yeah, get the away team to the game safely. Uh, but there is no map. So I'm just like, mm, I hope I do it. I hope, I hope this is what I, but I don't have to play. <laughs> no, comics you know, is a visual medium. You just get to chill. You're like, look, here's a script. So a curious thing that I, <laughs> one of the things that I always, because I've heard from you, I've heard this from Greg Pak. I've heard this like from a number of really successful comic book writers, go read scripts. And I'm like, when I first heard that, I was like, where does one find, like, unless a, someone like, Donny Cates loves sharing his scripts. So like, yeah, look, like sure. some people just some people just like, here's a script or well, you could get it from a director's cut and the script is in there. But like, right. where do you, what is your source for finding scripts in that manner? Because it's not the same as if a screenwriter puts a script out. You can find those almost anywhere is, or, is, well, or is it? So I have three sources. One, there is a comic book script archive. You can just literally Google comic script archive. Uh, and it'll take you, and it's where creators have donated scripts to this place so that they're centralized and people can find them easily. Two, um, there's a bunch of writers that have Patreons that will put snippets of scripts or even whole scripts up. Um, I know for the most part, it is it is like kosher to put up a script even for a licensed thing as long as it's already come out. Okay. Um, which I should update my Patreon and just start putting the scripts. <laughs> and and You're so, welcome. Yeah, thank you. Um, <laughs> And then the third is I have a lot of writer friends and sometimes I ask them for their scripts. <laughs> I think it's, so I, I think it's important to read scripts because not for the content and not necessarily even for nitty gritty structure stuff. But what I'm interested in when I'm reading a script is how it's communicating the idea to the person that has to read the script. I'm a writer, um, not the artist, but, I, I think I still count. <laughs> so are you able to clearly get across the tone, um, you know, the the major action, all that kind of stuff without it being a slog to get through the scripts? Your script to me anyway, is a love letter to your artist. Like here, I appreciate you. And so, you know, I've, I, these are the things that I think you can do because you're amazing because it's true. That's, I think that artists are, are like sorcerers. Uh, I don't know how they do it. I mean, you've worked with some pretty incredible artists, right? Like when you, I'm blessed yeah. as hell. I got to tell you, I, there has been no sure project least, where I haven't been happy. <laughs> like, yeah, I'm pretty sure at least one of your artists has an Eisner. So yeah, uh, I don't, it's one of those things where you can never deserve to be able to work with someone like that, but I can be grateful that I've, but so like, to me, the script is it, 
the script is not for the editor. The script is certainly not for the readers. The script is for the artist. You are having a conversation with this person. Some people are better at communicating things than others. So I wanna incorporate as much stuff that I think will make that easier to, you know, that, that one of communication easier. I, I think the, it was Joelle Jones that said this, but I could be wrong. So if I'm attributing it incorrectly, I'm sorry. But uh, I asked, um, you know, what, what do you want in a script? What do you want? What do you want in a script? And she said, give me an emotion, give me an action and get the hell out of my way. And I was like, it's a great way to describe it. It's great. So I changed the way that I script based on comments like that. Um, so what I tend to do is just the anatomy of like a page to me is I'll do an introduction to the script to a just to like, hey, this is who I am. This is how I write. If you want me to change it, just let me know. That's it's really important to me that my artist knows like right away, like this is mostly your show. I'm just trying to do my best to get you information. Um, but then I'll talk about the the general kind of themes for whatever issue that we're, we're working on. I think it's really important to have that front loaded in your mind as you go into the project, right? Uh, I think one of the best pieces of advice that I got was never surprise your artist ever. <laughs> it's not your job to surprise the artist. They should know everything that they need to know going in. So I give all like the thematic stuff and like, the emotional stuff up front. That's usually, all of that combined is usually a page which they can read once and then never read again if they don't want to. And then I move into the actual script itself and I will, you know, I'll tell you what page it is and how many panels there are on this page with the caveat of change how many panels are on this page if you want to. Um, and then I give as much tonal information as necessary for the page. Just the page. So say a little bit, say a little bit more for those who may not be familiar when you say tonal information, like, um, because again, I, I say this and, I, and it really is a, a, my true belief and why I love comics so much. It's a team sport. And yeah, sure. a lot of this, people don't realize a lot, it doesn't happen in a bullpen anymore. You know, no. back in the seventies and eighties, comic books generally would happen in the bullpen. Sometimes you'd have artists here and there that could work remotely but they'd be mailing in panels. So it would take so long that generally there was a point in time where the writer and the artist were in the same space at the same time. That's not the case anymore. I'm sad that I never got to experience that. I've had like some experiences with friends like that, but never, never the real bullpen, which is a bummer. Um, so like, yeah, you can't walk over and be like, hey buddy, like this is kind of what I'm thinking. Here's the vibe. You know what I mean? Uh, anymore. Um, you know, I jump on the phone with with my collaborators whenever they want. Um, and sometimes when I want to. <laughs> uh, but generally, you kind of have to let each other just work. You don't really, people live in different time zones. People live in different countries. You may not, you know, there may be communication barriers where you have an agent translating or someone will, you know, be able to to read text better than they can, you know, have live conversation. Yeah. And I speak only one language well, and then one language, uh, you know, passably. So I, I, I myself, that the failing is on me. <laughs> but, you know, so I wanna give an, as much of the feeling and the kind of context for a page as possible before I go into panel descriptions. So tone for me includes things like, uh, you know, 
it does include things like setting and time of day and all this stuff, but also like, hey, this is a somber page because this, or hey, mm. we're gonna have, you know, it's gonna start low energy, but then last panel, we're gonna have like an explosion of energy. Just keep that in mind. Or if there's something that needs to be seated in the, in the page for a later page or even a later issue, I'll put it in that. Be like, hey, keep in mind, this briefcase has to be here and this is kind of where it is. That's an example for it. Um, and then I go into panel descriptions. Uh, again, always I'm like, change it if you want to, but now you have the information that I think is important and you can just do whatever you want. So like, again, emotion action bounce. <laughs> like, I'll be like, you know, Morbius, our, our sad, our sad angsty vampire boy is uh, looking at a, you know, he's standing at the, at his science table with his hands pressed against the table, looking real, real worn out. He's thinking these thoughts. Um, and that won't necessarily be what's in a caption. It'll just be like, well, when you're thinking certain things, you might make an expression or whatever. Yeah. And that's just like, that's it. That's how I roll. Sometimes when I've been working for, with someone for a while, like Claire Rowe, uh, we're working on Nebula together. I'll do something like page six, five panels, question mark. And I'll just have like, <laughs> hey, this is a fight scene. By the end of it, this should happen. It would be cool if you incorporated these things, like whatever, and I'll have like a paragraph or two. And I'm like, go with God. <laughs> like, because she, we know each other so well. So she knows kind of what I'm thinking, but also she's the artist. I don't know what I, I can't draw. Like you, you do it, do whatever you want. <laughs> like, um, and I know that she like, she will add more panels than I uh, script for because she likes to do big splashy action with like little highlights and stuff. And I'm like, I don't even know how to script that. Yeah, yeah. Do, do what you do so well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I wanna hop into a couple of questions. Um, yeah. So Kat Calvin, favorite comic that people may not have heard of we should read while we're in our bunkers. Oh, Kat Calvin. Good question. Uh, I don't know what people are reading these days, uh, but I have, what have I been reading that I thought was really, really good? Uh, I've been reading, I just borrowed, uh, this might be one that a lot of people don't know, uh, this from my neighbor. We are in an isolation pod because there are only like two apartments, three apartments, and we're all very good friends. Uh, so this book is awesome. Uh, it is really intense and really painful, um, but it is also evocative in a way that gives you hope. Uh, I am, I'm just like a third of the way through, uh, but it's really, it's, it's changed my life. Uh, I read Abbott by, uh, Saladin Ahmed recently. Uh, I love That's it. such a good book. Oh, so good. <laughs> um, I'm trying to think. What did I buy? Uh, I my default is always Hellboy, <laughs> so I'm always gonna tell people to go read Hellboy because I think it's really good. I've I learned Hellboy tattoo, like learn something new today. Wow. Uh, yeah, those are those are some. If you are looking for anything specific, I'm sure that I could like if you comment like YA or sci-fi or whatever. Um, oh, uh, if you can find it. Uh, it is a little difficult to find, but uh, Saturn Apartments uh, is a manga that is both kind of, it's bittersweet. It's basically, it's very apropos, uh, humanity has made the earth unlivable. And so we created um, this ring of a like space station around the earth and we live there now. <laughs> and it's about this kid who uh, becomes a window washer for, for the apartments. 
It's really cute. Um, but there's a lot of stuff in there that's really emotionally resonant. Um, and they talk a little bit about kind of what's going on on the earth, but mostly it's about how people do come together um, and help each other when the chips are down. So that's, it's really hopeful um, and very cute, very sweet. All right. So Amy, Laura, uh, having written a post-apocalyptic series like The Wilds, flowers, <laughs> zombies, um, does the genre lose its appeal or interest for you while living through a pandemic situation? I have wanted desperately to write more wilds right now. Uh, it's just my, uh, it's one of my favorite universes to play in. It's weird because I don't want to read any post-apocalyptic prose at all. Like I, I too much. That's too much. But I did just watch Girl with the Gifts. Like, <gasps> you did? You watched it? Oh, I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm so excited about that movie. I, I loved it. it. I loved it. I loved it so much. Um, also written by another comic book writer. The comic book writer wrote the book. I just ordered the book from an independent bookstore. I'm super excited for it to come in. Um, although I don't know if I'll be able to read it because it's just been so stressful. Um, but I've been watching like We've been watching a bunch of horror movies and a bunch of like that kind of stuff. And I'm enjoying that because there's catharsis there. But for me, and I'll probably read some more post-apocalyptic comics if I can, I'll see what I have. But for me, prose takes so long, which is good. Uh, but I don't want to live in the like headspace of like the downward spiral before the the peak. So like, um, I love it. I'm, ha uh, I'm happy to write it right now. I don't want to read the prose, but go see Girl with the Gifts. It's on Netflix right now. It's really good. It's so good. Like honestly, I did a geek explain for sci-fi. Um, I think I guess two years ago, and my friends all know I'm obsessed with zombies. I'm I'm also yeah. obsessed with Richard Matheson. You you know this. I I'm Both always same <laughs> same. Um, and it's just it's such an interesting 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 twist. And the thing I like about that particular movie is it did what none of the directors in any of the I Am Legend movies did, which was allow the actual resolution to happen. I'm not yeah. gonna spoil it, but yeah. in every single version of I Am Legend, Ooh. there was a complete departure away from what Matheson was trying to get across right. in the book. And I always thought it was very interesting. And the reason why I loved Girl with the Gifts so much is that they were brave enough to let it happen. Um, that, that movie, there are so, I could, this will become a live stream about that movie because I, I loved it so much. But I, the, the way that they introduce the children and the way that they progress the story from there, it, I think that was so brilliant. Um, so yeah, I'm enjoying post-apocalyptic, uh, fiction just of a visual <laughs> visual nature um yeah. so uh we are still taking questions so if you want to put it in your comments uh in youtube we're on youtube twitch facebook um just put them there in the comments i will get all of them at the same time they come in this magical chat thingy that tells me where <laughs> you are um and who you are um you know, and I think, you know, the next question is kind of like thinking back on that understanding of knowing that you can handle visual, but you can't really handle prose right now. Um, and I know prose has been hard for me because ironically, I am more mentally visual when reading prose than I am when I am watching a show. Mm. Um, what are you doing right now to keep, because I know you talked a little bit about that 
me time in the morning and me time in the evening. Like, what else are you doing right now that you've adjusted? Because now we're three weeks in. So we've had a chance to kind of fill this and feel as an F-E-E-L, not F-I-L-L, um, fill this thing out. Like, what are you what are you personally implementing that's keeping you grounded as an artist? I I I'm reading for pleasure. And I think that that is I, everyone talks about how important it is, and it is, but I, we never take our own advice. Uh, <laughs> but I'm starting to take that advice because not only was the well running dry, but also, I, you know, I got to a point where I was like, why am I even working anymore? You know, I've the one thing I've always wanted to do uh, with my life, there have been two things, and that's connect with people and help people. Um, I, I've had many, many jobs, um, and most of them were, were uh, revolved around service of some sort. Um, and I was sitting here, you know, in my pajamas, probably. I started getting dressed again also, which is very important. Very um, important. Ooh, it makes a difference. But I was sitting here, and I was like, why am I even writing these scripts? Like, what's the point? Will anyone even care? And so I was like, all right, I need to take a day off, which I also never do. I never take weekends off. I never take evenings off. I just work all the time. Um, my wife uh, is long suffering. And <laughs> your, br your brilliant wife, who I hope is an earshot. I, I love her so much. Thank you for letting me borrow your spouse. <laughs> she keeps getting one of these. <laughs> um, but I, I finally was like, I need a break. I just need a break. And so I was like, I'm going to read a chapter of something a day or a graphic novel a day of a normal size, not like an omnibus. That's too much. <laughs> um, and so I started doing that. And that reminded me that like, I oh, look, I'm not a doctor. I'm not a sanitation worker. I'm not a grocery store clerk. I'm not someone out there like putting my life on the line and helping people in that way. But these, the things that I'm consuming right now are, are helping me. <laughs> these books are helping me. I, you can't really find comfort. Maybe you can, maybe you can find comfort. They're not necessarily comforting me, but they're reminding me that people want to connect with other people. And, and so doing that really kind of reinvigorated my, my desire to work again, because I, I can only do what I am capable of, but I want to do it as well as possible. And I, so I found, I found that inspiration again from reading a bunch of books. So, um, and watching movies too. I've always wanted to make like television and movies, but um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wish I had more profound answers. Um, what I'm finding is that the mundane things are really giving me hope and doing little mundane things are actually keeping me moving. Um, also spending time with my wife and my, like my friends, because again, we're in an isolation pod. We've been, we've been quarantining ourselves for a month now. <laughs> wow. I, and oh. I love it. And your cats. And my cats, my boys. <laughs> Look who just popped into the chat. You know what? I was gonna start winding this down, but hey, Danny Roth, aka Danny Ordinary, both with two ends. Um, <laughs> dang it! You know what, guys? It's time for me to have an afternoon snack. Clearly, I know I haven't had lunch yet. Woo. Also, in 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 this reality, we mess up, and it's fine. Uh, so if you were to write a Star Trek 
Voyager story. You're being very specific. And I feel like this is coming from another conversation uh, about be about Bologna. Uh, I know. <laughs> like, this is real specific, Danny. <laughs> so, Danny knows that. So, a little context. Uh, when I was a teenager, when I was 15, I was really, really sick. And I spent every single night in the ER uh, for about 10 months. It was pretty, pretty rough. Uh, and during that time, Voyager was in syndication, I guess, and it was playing in the waiting room. So I would watch Voyager every single night and it got to the point where I would still be scared because I didn't know what was going on in my body, but I would have that to look forward to. So I was like, okay, it's going to be okay. <laughs> like we're going to go and we're going to see, you know, Captain Janeway and Bolana Torres and, and all my favorites do stuff. Uh, and Danny knows that. So, <laughs> and Bolana is my favorite character, uh, on the show. So. Even though Voyager is not the best Star Trek, I acknowledge that it is my favorite Star Trek because it it gave me something to to hope for. Uh, yeah, I love that. <laughs> Thanks, Danny. But what yeah. would you write? What would be the story? My, I would. There are two stories that I would want to do for Milana. Um, One would be her her academy days leading into her joining the Maquis. She wasn't in Starfleet Academy for very long, but she was there for a while. Um, and then she just kind of got radicalized and left. Uh, and I find that really fascinating and you get bits and pieces of it throughout the series, but like, I would really love to like sit down and like write about that. Um, she's, she's wonderful. She's a Hispanic in space. I love her so much. Uh, and the other, uh, I would, I would love to wreck on her marriage to Tom Paris. So I guess I would love to write about her divorce and her finding herself and being happy. Uh, <laughs> but that is just the pettiness of me. Um, <laughs> just a little bit. She can do better. Uh, <laughs> I said it. Fly boy ain't nothing. Mm -mm. Uh, so yeah, those are those are two of the many stories that I would love to write about Blonde Torres. Oh, well, I feel you. My favorite Star Trek is OG. It's problematic as heck. But there's not the best, so, but there's something so when I'm sick, I actually watch OG Star Trek. Like that's my like I don't it's so wonderfully hokey. It is, but also there's all this stuff. Like we look back on it now and like, yeah, it was there was a lot of problems, but also they were pushing pushing the edge on so many things where they didn't have to. Like, and it was propelled by the people involved. And yeah. I find that beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think it's, I think it's, and we could have a whole conversation dealing with the different structures of how TV was back then. And sure. that TV was really ruled uh, on a very substantial level by the sponsors into the fact that the sponsors had so much control that they could actually be mentioned in the theme song each week. <laughs> and because they paid, they paid for the advertisement. Yeah. Um, it would literally shift which shows would be played and if shows would get canceled. And so I think there's just such an interesting dynamic of yeah. what was happening with segregation and integration and the civil rights movement. Listen, the um, story, the story that Nichelle Nichols uh, tells about like MLK. Yo, I, I, I cried. I, I, uh, I actually burst into tears. I was listening to it on a podcast and I was like, I was not ready for this. Like that, like that, 
that tells you something about the power of like media and the power of stories, which is like, that's my soapbox, right? Like I'm always like, stories are important. Stories are how we persist and stories is how we build community, right? Um, especially, uh, I mean, and every across the board, humans across the board, let me be clear, but also there is something to be said about like people of the diaspora as well, because the only thing they couldn't take from us were the stories that we told each other, right? And so like the power of stories is so fundamental to us as a species and Star Trek being something like just as a franchise, but also just as individual kind of like smaller shows that push boundaries. That's incredible to me. And it's a show with like terrible makeup and like awful sets, but I don't care. It's great. <laughs> awful or innovative? I don't know. Clearly, if you watch Doctor Who long enough, you watch the black and white Doctor Who long enough. I like the black and white. And then, and then you go watch OG Star Trek. OG Star Trek was like a billion years. You can see the strings on the ships. <laughs> All right. Oh, okay, guys. We would we would literally um, be here forever all, all day talking about Star Trek. Thanks, Danny Roth. Uh, we love you and adore you. Um, but for those who um, want to follow you and follow all of the great things that you are doing, uh, tell the people where to find you. Yeah, I, I'm on Twitter at Definitely Vita, and I'm on Instagram as well, although that's private. Same at Definitely Vita. Um, I have a Patreon, which I'm not collecting money for, so now's the time to join. There's a bunch of stuff up there, <laughs> uh, and I'll be putting more stuff on there too. But just trying to create content to like soothe people, so I'm finding like the most gentle kind of content to create right now. I love it. Well, st stay tuned tomorrow. Tomorrow we're actually going to be talking to Brian Joseph Lee, uh, who is a producer and does a lot of community engagement and involvement at the Public Theater, and we'll be talking about how. Um, how folks in theater and how folks who are producers and writers and creators and stage writers are shifting and building community right now as well. Um, just because, you know, theater is yeah. shuttered My, right now. Yeah. Um, but the, a lot of folks are doing incredible stuff. I don't know if folks have seen like the Hamilton stuff. So we'll be, we'll be talking a lot about that tomorrow and how, Creativity is finding our way, or as Byron Isaac said it yesterday, um, it finding its way through the concrete, uh, which I absolutely love. Uh, thank you for tuning in today, and we will see you tomorrow. Creative Quarantine is hosted by Angelique Roche. It's produced by Angelique Roche, Sarah Storm, and Matt Storm. Our logo is designed by Aaron Leffler. New streaming episodes are available Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern and Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern on AngeliqueRocher.com forward slash creative quarantine. Podcasts are made available the morning after each live streamed episode wherever you get your podcasts. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and visit us on Instagram at creative.quarantine and Twitter at creativequeutine. Please send this to a friend who needs a little artistic company and stay at home if you possibly can. We'll see you soon. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work 
or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.